4.18 to 22, in hope against hope, Abraham believed. It says in verse 18, in hope against hope, he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness." Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this time to study your word, and we thank you for the example, many examples that you've given us in Scripture, and even right now, this example of Abraham. We pray, Lord, that we will understand his life and what you worked in his life, not only to understand him, but to understand its relationship to us. We know, Lord, that this word is the living and abiding word of God meant for us and meant for our own salvation and sanctification that we might better understand you, our faith, our our uh, life here on earth before we meet you, and Lord, what we anticipate in the age to come. We look forward to these things just as it says in hope against hope. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. In this section of scripture, the Apostle Paul has many references to the strong faith of Abraham. The strong faith. Elements of his faith have already been explained in verses 1 to 17 and a bit more in 23 to 25 in relation to us, especially in 23 to 25. But also in 18 to 22, we have an assurance that he indeed had true faith and he had strong faith in the promises of God. And that faith not only benefited him, but benefits the many nations who have the same faith of Abraham, the same faith that he had. And let's look at how strong of a faith he had. In verse 18, it says, In hope against hope, he believed. In hope against hope. He had hope, and having hope requires faith. But it was against hope. Because his situation was hopeless. If he looked on the horizon, when he looked on the horizon in his life, he didn't see a fruitful land. He saw a barren land. So that's the hopeless situation he had presented before him in terms of his own circumstances. However, he looked beyond his own circumstances. He looked beyond the horizon, beyond the barren land, the desert land of his horizon, and he looked Ahead of that, because he believed what God said. That was beyond the barrenness. He looked beyond the barrenness to see what God had promised him. That's what the apostle means when he says, hope against hope. He had hope against hope. And it says, he believed. He believed what God said. This hope and faith as a combination is also mentioned in... Romans 8, Romans 8, 24, 24 to 25. Romans 8, 24 to 25. For in hope we have been saved. 
But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. We, in hope, because we hope, we are saved. There's an element there that he doesn't express explicitly, but what he means is, when we have faith, that faith is in a hope, something good, something beneficial, that's going to benefit our soul that we don't yet see. He says, but hope that is seen is not hope. Once we have it in front of our eyes, it's not hope, it's the experience. We're actually enjoying it when it's right before us. But before it's before us, when it's unseen, that's hope. But how do you know it's going to happen? We're going, we know it's going to happen because we have faith. And that causes us this faith in the hope of the promises of God causes us to be saved. Verse 24, in hope we have been saved. But this hope is a persevering, anticipatory kind of hope because it says in verse 25, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. We wait eagerly for it. We long for it to happen and we are in anticipation of it. Now, this combination of faith and hope is also in Hebrews 10, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is, he gives us an equation. He gives us a way to compare what faith is. It is the assurance of things hoped for. One who has faith, one who believes, has confidence, has assurance of things hoped for, and also the conviction of things he does not yet see. That's what faith is, and this is what hope is. That's what the apostle is explaining with reference to Abraham. Abraham had this kind of faith. What did he anticipate? Well, he anticipated many things. Romans 4.18 mentions one of them in relation to us. One of them in relation to us. And it is in verse 18, Romans 4.18, in order that he might become a father of many nations. In order that he might become a father of many nations. Does this mean that he, he would be the father of many nations in a physical sense? That in his lineage, in his descendants, that he would have many nations springing forth from his own loins? Is that what he means here? Well, it is true from Abraham came Isaac, and from Isaac came Jacob and Esau. And from Jacob and Esau, we have the nation of Edom from Esau and the nations of Israel and Judah that came from Jacob. From Abraham's son Ishmael, there were 12 princes and because Ishmael had these sons and grandsons, and from them came tribes and nations. 
And that's mentioned in Genesis 25. So in that sense, there were many physical nations. But is that what the apostle is referring to here in Romans 4? No. He's not talking about many physical nations. He's talking about many spiritual nations. People from many nations who have the faith of Abraham. Abraham becomes our father. We are Abraham's children. We are Abraham's offspring in that way. That is what Paul the Apostle has in view here. We saw this earlier in verses 9 to 17. In verses 9 to 17, we see this because in 9 to 15, he assures us that Abraham was saved before he was circumcised so that he is the example He is the model of all of us who are uncircumcised from the nations of the world. But he's also circumcised at a point in his life so that he might become the father of the Jewish people who also have the same faith of Abraham. Then in verses 16 to 17, 16 to 17, he actually quotes this passage A father, verse 17, a father of many nations have I made you. A father of many nations. And he means it in the spiritual sense, just as he said in verses 9 to 15. Therefore, also in verse 18, when he says a father of many nations, as he cited in verse 17, he means spiritual people from the many nations of the world. From every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's what he means here in Romans 4.18, which includes all of us. It includes all of us. We participate in this. This is reiterated in verse 23. See Romans 4.23. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned, As those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Why is this explanation of the life and faith of Abraham in Scripture? Why is it here? The apostle tells us in verse 23 that it's not written just so that we might understand Abraham, but that it might benefit us. It was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness so that it might also benefit us as righteousness. The scriptures are written, written not only for the contemporaries of the prophets who wrote the scriptures, but also to benefit future generations, which includes us, Jews and Gentiles, whoever believes in the same gospel that Abraham believed. That's how or why the scriptures are here. We know Abraham and all of us are included in one family. That's the promise that Abraham believed in Genesis 4, excuse me, Romans 4, 18. A father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. The apostle in Romans 4, 18, when he says, so shall your descendants be, This is a citation from Genesis 15, verse 5. Genesis 15, 
verse 5. In that chapter, Abraham is concerned about his future. He says that, Lord, you have not given me an offspring yet. You have not given me a son yet. Yet you've been telling me that I will have descendants, physical descendants, and I will have a special descendant, physical descendant, Christ. And you've been saying that because of Christ, my single descendant, the nations of the world will believe in Christ and I will be the father of many spiritual nations because of Christ coming through me. But nothing has happened yet. That's Abraham's dilemma in his life at that point. And God led him out and showed him the stars and said, your descendants will be like the stars of heaven. That's what he said. That's why the apostle quotes it. So shall your descendants be. If we go out at nighttime in a clear sky, like in the country or in the desert, and you look at the sky, you will see innumerable stars, a brilliant sky with many, many stars, uncountable, innumerable. You cannot, you cannot, doesn't matter how long you take, doesn't matter how many instruments you use, telescopes you use, whatever, you will not be able to count them. You cannot. So God told Abraham, so shall your descendants be. However, he had no son. He had no son. And he was at least 70 years old. And when Ishmael was born in Genesis chapter 16, he was 86 years old. Abraham was 86 years old. So Abraham is concerned. He's wanting to know. God assures him it will indeed happen. Well, after God told him that, it says in Genesis 15, 6, the oft-quoted verse, which is quoted in Romans 4, 3, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. When God said it, we are told in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed in the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He believed what God said in hope against hope. He had a moment of concern. He prays to God and expresses that concern and God assures him, this will indeed happen to you. What did Abraham do? Did he dispute with God? Was he angry with God? Did he say, God, you haven't fulfilled your promises yet, so you are a liar? Did he blaspheme God? No, nothing like that. Verse 19, Romans 4, 19. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Without becoming weak in faith. His faith did not weaken as the years passed by when he did not see the fulfillment of the promise of God by that point. But it did not happen. No weakness of faith. How could he have had weak faith? There are two reasons in verse 19. He could have had weak faith or weaker faith because by the time Isaac was born, Abraham was 100 years old 
and Sarah was 90 years old. And by that point, both Abraham and Sarah were incapable of begetting and bearing children. It was impossible at that point, at 100 years old for him and 90 for her. It was impossible. But he still believed, it says, verse 19, without becoming weak in faith. Without becoming weak. By this point, we, in the narrative of Genesis, we are at chapters 17 and 18, when Ishmael is their only son, Abraham's only son, not the son of Sarah, but the son of Abraham and Hagar. And at that point, he still is not weak in faith. He still has hope against hope. He still knows that God's going to fulfill his promise. In Genesis 17, God explicitly tells him it will happen through Isaac. Isaac. And Sarah is the one at the age of 90 who will miraculously bear Isaac as their son of promise. Isaac at age 90. Then when God told Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 17 to Abraham, And Sarah, and then in Genesis 18, God assures Abraham that Sarah will indeed bear a son. Did they believe? Did Abraham believe? Yes. Verse 20. Verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. There is so much that the apostle heaps right here in his argument about Abraham's strong faith. In verse 20, he says, with respect to, yet with respect to the promise of God. He says, yet, why? Because his circumstances were dire. He's 100 or about to be 100 and Sarah 90. He's looking at the horizon and all he sees is barrenness. The land that he sees, figuratively speaking, before him is like his own body and his wife's body, yet he doesn't waver with respect to the promise of God. He knew who God was and is, and he did not waver when God himself told him. He did not doubt the word of God. The spoken word of God, the promises of God, he did not doubt. He did not waver in unbelief, verse 20. That means that he did not roam about here or there. Sometimes when we read the narrative of Abraham's life, people portray him as a bumbling fool, as a wandering idiot. Somebody who goes here and there. Yes, he was a nomad in a sense, so he stayed for a time here and a time there. And sometimes he was more stationary than at other times because of the circumstances. But they look at Abraham as though he's just an old man who's got a cane and doesn't know where he's going and what he needs to do. That's the way often Abraham is portrayed. Not just Abraham, but many of the saints of Scripture, Old and New Testament Scriptures. 
Yet that's not the way the Apostle Paul looks at him. And if the the Apostle Paul did not view Abraham that way, the Holy Spirit did not either. The Holy Spirit of God did not either. It says, he did not waver in unbelief. He grew strong in faith. He glorified God. He was fully assured. Verse 21. That's what the Bible says about Abraham. The apostle does not mean to say Abraham never sinned. We all sin until we meet Christ face to face. But Abraham did not practice sin. He did not love his sin. He did not excuse his sin. He did not refuse to repent and confess his sins, which unbelievers do, and even many professing believers do. They practice sin. They make excuses for sin. They don't have guilt or explain or manifest their guilt over sin in order to repent and, con- and confess. They don't do those things. Both unbelievers and professing believers do those things. Abraham was not that way. Abraham also, before his conversion, he had to be converted. Before his conversion, he worshipped idols. According to Joshua 24, verse 2, and Joshua 24, 14, and 15. Before his conversion, Abraham was an idolater. Joshua 24, 2, and 14, and 15. But now verse 22. Therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's the verse we mentioned before. Genesis 15, 6. Genesis 15, 6. When God spoke his word, he believed the promise against all of his circumstances and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now this expression we must clarify It was reckoned to him as righteousness. This does not mean in the narrative of Genesis that Abraham was saved in chapter 15. It does not mean Abraham was saved in chapter 15 because that's where it says it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Some have concluded wrongly that that's when he was saved or that there is a contradiction in the Bible, a contradiction in the Bible that it seems that Abraham is saved at the end of Genesis 11 and throughout chapters 12 to 15 because of the word of God delivered to Abraham and some of the things that he says and does. But then it says in Genesis 15 that it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And then further along in the narrative of Genesis, all the way until his death in chapter 25, there are incidents of him practicing righteousness. So some conclude that he was saved in chapter 15. Yet that's not the case. This expression, it was reckoned to him as righteousness, is an affirmative expressing that at that point in his life, he did in fact have true faith manifested in works. True faith manifested in works. That's the purpose of the statement. It's not expressing the beginning of his faith, but it's expressing an affirmation of the fact that he did have faith, invisible faith expressed in works, in deeds, good deeds. 
That's the purpose of expressing it or writing it in Genesis 15, 6. Keep your place here and let's turn to James. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We'll see that James does similarly to the Apostle Paul. James, he uses Abraham as an example. He even cites Genesis 15, 6. However, he applies it to a different situation. Look, for example, at verse 20, 2, 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Faith without works is useless. Therefore, the works, according to James, manifest, demonstrate, they show to us before our very eyes that one has that invisible faith within his heart. That which he professes with his mouth is actually practiced by his deeds. That's the purpose, or that's what works demonstrate, according to James which is the same that the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 4, that Abraham's persistence, Abraham's practice, Abraham's manifestation of faith is shown by what he did. In James' case, it says that this was demonstrated when he offered up Isaac. But he offered up Isaac many years later in his life in Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, likely when Abraham was about 125 years old and Isaac was 25 years old, likely at that point. And yet this is said that it said here that he was reckoned righteous. That means that it's an affirmation. Whenever the scripture is saying this about Abraham, he's reckoned righteous in Genesis 15 or as exposited by James in Genesis 22, he is reckoned righteous because he is showing his faith by his works. Abraham did this because he believed God in hope against hope. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.